Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. I am here with Chris Burkhart. I said that correctly, right? I've heard yeah. people say it other ways. Um, and, you know, Chris and I have had the great opportunity to connect through social media and through other friends and been able to ride together. Um, but I think what Chris has to offer the world has been such a huge visual introspective into places that a lot of us will never actually get to. Iceland, the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir, uh, surfing in Iceland. I mean, it, it's it's pretty incredible where you've been and where you've seen. Um, let's let's get into it. I mean, how how yeah. did this? I mean, let's let's start at the beginning, right? Right. Um, photography is a really powerful medium. You you what you do really gives people a true glimpse into things that they would never ever actually get the opportunity to see with their own eyes, right? Yeah. And. You've done it in such a distinctly unique way. I mean, you changed the way that photographs were shot for surfing, surfing competitions, right? Mm -hmm. And how did this all start for you? Because it's not something that's like, okay, pick up a, a Polaroid and just start going and, and having yeah. such great, beautiful images. Yeah, I think a huge part of it is that we're all a byproduct of our environment, right? And so I, I grew up in... Um, in Central California, uh, you know, San Luis Obispo area. And I think for me, like growing up, there wasn't, there wasn't the access to go and travel to some big remote, you know, I wasn't going to Hawaii for vacations with my family. There's just that we just didn't have the income to do that. So in many ways, my experience growing up was like going to national parks, going to places we could drive to places we could afford to go to going to Big Sur. I think that it left a big impression on me that like, those are the places that were super meaningful. That was, that was the expanse of my world, right? So in some way, it felt really interesting when I picked up a camera and I didn't really care about creating art, you know, or, or photography at all. It was like, I grew up in a really small town. I thought the camera could maybe be this tool to get me out of this small town, to get me off the grid, to, to let me see the world. I mean, that was honestly like the, oh, that was it. That was all I thought. Um, if it was, you know, being a chef, then that would have been an awesome option. But to me, I picked it up and I was like, ah, oh, this is it. Like, this is going to take me somewhere. And I think in some ways, what I realized really quickly was like that this was a really incredibly validating art, artistic format. And that when I was looking at options of what I could shoot and what I could create, I realized that like being a landscape photographer, which is what I loved, what I what I love and what I do mostly now. At the time when I was 19 years old, I quit college and I quit my job and I just pushed into this. I, there, there wasn't really an option to be a landscape photographer because what does that mean? Do you have a gallery? You know, you have to have high-end equipment. You have to be selling your work. So I, what I grew up knowing is I knew surfing and I knew um, the places in and around where I kind of had experience and explored. And so I kind of, in some way combined what I loved for landscapes, these big expansive places with the, the art or the act of, of, um, of surfing in these beautiful arenas. And so that was, kind of the, that was kind of the style that I brought to the table. And it's something that I tried to emulate in everything I was doing, whether I was shooting, again, cycling or climbing or, or aerial photography. I love this idea of exploring the natural arenas in which we get to play, in which we get to kind of test the human experience and so for me that's that's kind of what photography has been all about and it's it's kind of become that tool and it, it's really interesting so I, a couple quick things i read a little tidbit that you bought your first camera you took a ton of pictures and it actually didn't work is that correct yeah yeah well, i mean i i had borrowed it's funny because at the time I had borrowed my, my girlfriend, now wife, her mom's camera was like the first one I ever used. I was 18 and it was rad. I used it. I shot a couple of rolls. This is so fun. Like I'm, I'm stoked. I went to a Goodwill and I wanted to buy a camera and I was like, so I, I went and I bid on a camera and I paid like 150 bucks for it. 160 bucks, some Pentax. 
It never worked. It, uh, not a single roll ever went through it. And I was so disappointed because I went out and shot and I was all eager and I was like, this thing sucks. Like this thing's fully broken, tore it all apart, didn't make it work. And then I, I had to save up more money and then ultimately like bought, you know, something proper, but it was, it was kind of funny, you know, it's like, I'm glad that that didn't deter me and that didn't stop me in some way because <laughs> it easily could have. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really great point because you continued, even though you had put, you know, saved all your cash, went and bid on this camera mm -hmm. and then it ended up being a dud. I mean, a lot of times people would just become fed up. Yeah. yeah frustrated yeah. and be like, oh, it's really expensive. I spent all my money. I wasted my time. And you just drove forward. Yeah. I think, I think there's some aspect too of like, when you, when, you know, where I, when I grew up and when I grew up, it was like, there just, there didn't seem like many options, you know, like I just didn't feel like there was many avenues college, you know, going to college, getting college paid for wasn't really a, a feasible option for me. So it was like, what am I going to do? You know, what I, I did a lot of like automotive work and, and I like, you know, I had a scholarship to an automotive school, but I'm like, I don't want to wrench on cars for the next 60 years, you know, like, so I, I felt like I had, it was almost like there, this was all that I had, you know, in some way And photography became at a, at a certain point, kind of like my last resort, I guess you could say. I, I did hear a rumor that you were a hot rod guy. Yeah, there was a, definitely a period. I've owned a lot of vehicles. My first car was a 57 Chevy Bel Air and I've owned like a lot of cars. I mean, that was like my deal. Like before I picked up a camera, it was like, I would, I would do auto competitions through like my, you know, my class in high school and build cars, sell cars. I mean, it was, it, it became, it became pretty, um, I became pretty brutal. I mean, just being covered in grease all day. Like I, I loved it, but man, it sucks. I mean, I would, I would imagine it would be akin to being like cooking all day long, every day, you know? Oh yeah. You go home smelling like a goat and yeah. no matter how much you try, you always have grease on you. Like it's, yeah. it's like, it's in the air, it's particulated. The front of your glasses are covered and even worse, the backside of your glasses are covered. Oh. Always. And oh. you never get them clean enough. It's always, yeah. you know, it is what it is. I mean, that's just life. So, I mean, yeah. you traded in, you traded in like oil, motor oil and grease for film and, and developing and, and there's been this massive, I mean, let me, you know, I've got all sorts of notes here. I actually did homework, which is, Dude, I love it, man. You're normal. prepared. I'm, I'm, not normal for me. I'm actually, you know, so you have, you've published six different books on yeah. your adventures and your photography. You've done four films and I know there's a couple more in the, in, in the docket as we speak, right? Yeah. 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 How many do you have in the docket right now? Um, well, I've over the course of like the last 10 years, we've, we've, we've made a ton of films, probably like 15, 20, but like a lot of shorter films. And then, and then a, a handful of like more um, like 40 minute pieces. And um, right now I'm, I'm kind of, there's always like something in the works, right? I'm working on a film with, with Gus and Isaac from thereabouts um, about cycling and Rebecca Rush about cycling through Iceland in the winter, Red Bull just came in and, and asked a partner on that film. So congratulations! We're, um, we're, yeah, we're working with them, which is exciting. They're gonna be like our distribution partner and, and everything, but we have to do like a pickup shoot in Mexico. So we're kind of got to go and, and find a way to, you know, do that in the next two months. And, um, and yeah, I just actually shot a, a little tiny thing for Strava this last week, um, like more of like a tiny little edit, but there, there's always like a handful of projects that are sort of just circling around the perimeter but you know the, the the there's there's not always a ton that are like personal and deep and intimate to me the ones that I feel like connected to and so I think that's the thing is like I'm often looking for like what's that what's that project that I'm I feel close to I feel connected to you know I feel um excited about sharing you know that's that's kind of the thing for me you have so many things going on I mean look let's you have a partnership with Patagonia where you developed some so using your imagery, you know, fleece and, you know, shorts, you, you've done adventures beyond, right? Surf, bike, Iceland, your Hetch Hetchy trip. Yeah. I mean, has there been a favorite so far? Have, do you have something that has just, you'll sit there and you're having coffee in the morning, you're looking at your dirt jumps in the backyard, knowing that your kitchen's not finished behind you. Exactly. <laughs> um, and you go, yeah, you know, I would say, I would say that, um, 
over the over the course of, of my career, being able to kind of really go to like distant and remote places has been um, key. And I I I love the experience that it brings out. I love the idea of putting together an expedition. Like this is what got me excited about riding bikes in, in, in that long form format is like coming from the surf world where you, you put together a crew, you know, kind of like based around their talents, right? Based on the things that you you feel like they can bring to the table. That's always really exciting. And then all of a sudden taking that and going somewhere unique, remote, you know, remote Norway or, or Alaska or the Kuril Islands, um, that, that I feel like has taught me more about who I am as a person and, and, and my strengths and weaknesses than anything else. I mean, in many ways, this is just like, you know, adult education, right? I mean, that's kind of what I've always seen my, my career path as. Um, there was a trip that we did to an island chain. Um, we made a conservation film. I made it with Renan Ozturk and, and Taylor Free Solo, these super, super talented cinematographers. Um, and we went to the Kuro Islands. It's between Kamchatka, Russia and Japan. And it is like this absolutely ultra remote, you know, I mean, you're going to Kamchatka alone is remote. Kamchatka is like this, you know, the big uh, massive kind of peninsula that sticks out out of Russia and the, the biggest um, the biggest city in the world that doesn't have roads that connect to it from anywhere. So it was uh, Russia's major naval base for years and closed off to Americans for about 25 years um, until 25 years ago. So going there feels remote. And then you get on a boat and you go to these islands and they're all volcanic and they're exploding and, and life is you know hanging in the balance. And there was remnants of like the Ainu people that were there. Like, I mean, just I mean, I mean, we talk about like archaeological sites in, you know, in the world. And this is a thing where you go there and you just basically see like, you know, the remnants of a village that nobody's really had the chance to like explore. It's, it's really amazing. Um, so that was like a, a, a mind bending trip. And we, we documented a, an environmental uh, um, effort to kind of preserve the stellar sea lions there with a um, scientist from Russia. But I would just say, you know, I mean, all every trip has its, has its own visceral thing. And um, I often say that my favorite trip is the last one I went on because it's the one that's like the most ingrained in your mind. And I think that that last experience, that last expedition with Rebecca and Gus, you know, um, riding through Iceland in the winter was so incredibly eye-opening and transformative and, and beautiful in its own way. And that, and I think that's the key thing is like, to me, um, the camera is just a tool for exploration. That's it. Like if it can take me somewhere, as I said in the beginning, that's all I wanted to do. The bike has been the same thing. Like it's replaced that in some ways, in some forms. And yes, I love to use my camera, but I'm just as satisfied using my phone as I am with like a big DSLR. So to me, it's, it's about, you know, trying to understand a deeper a deeper awareness of the world around us and the people we spend time with and I think that's like what I'm after. And it doesn't really matter what medium that kind of, um, that takes on. So with, with your adventures, right? And, and, and like we just mentioned a moment ago, you have so many things swirling around you and your brain is always focused on what's next and how am I going to accomplish this and building that. And, you know, it's not just like you said about taking a photo. It's about getting there. It's about being safe. It's about how do I pack accordingly? How do you build time? Because it's not like you're a single guy. You've got a wife. You've got two children. You have a bunch of alpacas that yeah. you have to feed. You, you know, it's how do you balance your time to be able to accomplish these things, not only for the sense of adventure, but safely know you're coming back home? Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great question because I think that's my, my, my first priority and my first concern. And I think a big part of it is like, I'm a big preparer, right? Like right now, my mind isn't thinking about the next trip or the thing after that. It's thinking about, you know, the, the next, next thing, because, because that's going to require X, Y, and Z, right? So I have to be prepared and the more prepared I can be. And I think that preparation is more than just like going out and grinding out miles, right? It's, it's thinking through like, okay, how am I going to be eating? How am I going to be functioning? What am I going to be wearing? Like, like making sure that these things aren't last minute decisions and choices, that are coming up and it's hard for me because, you know, I'm going, I like, I think it's a bit different where if you're a professional cyclist or you're a professional photographer, um, you know, you, you operate in one sphere and I don't tend to do that. Like 
I'm, you know, on Saturday, I'm going to Mallorca, Spain to shoot deep water solo climbing. So I've got to bring all my ropes and GMARs and harnesses and everything so I can film and, and photograph people climbing on cliffs and falling into the ocean. And then right after that, I go and do a, a Ragnar relay run, which I hate running, but I've been running every day so I can prepare for that so that I can get my body back to that thing. So, and then I literally get done with that. The next day I fly to Iceland to, to ride uh, a 900 kilometer bike packing route with like Payson McLevin and Leo Wilcox. So it's like, I'm, I'm trying to oftentimes, and, and, and some of these are like commercial projects that I'm doing for, for work, you know, and then some of these are more fun, but ultimately each one being what it is being important and significant and, and me needing to be aware of like what I need to do to kind of, I think, pull my weight. I think that's the big thing is like pulling your weight in a group. Oftentimes, I think that's what comes to mind. And obviously, like you mentioned, you know, coming back safely to my family is critical. And that's a big part of it. And I think that I just find that I, if I waste too much time during the day, you know, doing just frivolous things, scrolling on my phone, then I won't, I won't have the ability to like put in the time that I need to do to, to see that through. And the older, the older we get, I mean, it's, it's crazy because um, you don't like heal right away. You know, you don't, you're not going to be like, cool, I'm going to, I'm going to stay up all night. I'll just do that. And then I'll be good. You know, no big deal. It's like, it doesn't work like that. I think I have to be more gentle to my body and conscious of that. So when you think about doing these monster trips, you know, you're talking about like, okay, which bike am I going to ride? Which clothes mm -hmm. am I going to wear? But then you also have to facilitate how you're going to shoot your images how, yeah. and, and all the equipment that needs to be carried for that. So for instance, on your Iceland trip, right? Yeah. This, this past winter with, with, with Gus and Rebecca, right. how did you prepare for something that massive? And also let's be really honest. That's really a pretty sketchy frostbite, yeah. cold, dangerous situation. Like you have to have a camera equipment that's going to withstand the cold, right? Mm -hmm. That's not going to, freeze you also personally have to not freeze so how, how did you do your research on that i mean you're in southern california how do you prepare for negative 30 degrees pre-wind chill it's funny because i i don't have snow anywhere around right so i would take my fat bike and i would go ride on the sand dunes <laughs> um i would literally go ride on the sand dunes doing like 50 mile days on the dune it was it was terrible like that was my training it was the, the stupidest thing ever. I mean, talk about, and, it, and it ultimately it was probably harder, much harder than riding on snow because when you got the good snow, it was like cement. It was, it was perfect. You just ripped through, but it is scary. I mean, we, we did get frostbite. Like we, we had some really sketchy situations that absolutely sucked. Like we, I, 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 I felt at the time and even now looking back, you know, like, I don't know if I would even do that trip again, knowing the situations that we got ourselves into but ultimately um we survived and everything's great and it was an amazing first ascent and what i learned from it was invaluable like those were incredible lessons to to learn to rely upon teammates and people and and have more empathy for people within their suffering like beautiful experience but i agree it is challenging to think about the technical side of things having to charge camera gear having to keep that camera gear cold just you know parts of your body that you can't let get wet right you can't let get get um cold and sweating and so we did have a crew that would meet up with us and film from time to time so there was less stress on me to to i guess um document but the whole point of it was like i didn't really want to be the sole documentarian on the trip so i took a camera gus took a camera and rebecca had like a gopro and we all kind of like took turns sort of getting little moments and filming little moments and trying to just kind of tick off, I think a lot of that stuff. So that was, that was, you know, I've orchestrated um, projects like this quite a bit uh, throughout the years. And, I, and I've done, I've tried to, you know, kind of create um, storytelling around these experiences. And I often find that depending on the crew, depending on their strengths and weaknesses, you can kind of figure out um, the, the best way to kind of go about it, you know, is it like, is this a, is this a pace where everybody's going to be okay carrying, you know, an extra two pounds or an extra pound or whatever it is? Um, or is it something where like, Hey, like iPhones only, because I think what I've realized as I've gotten older is that I'm looking for the way in which I can tell the most deep and meaningful story. 
And oftentimes that doesn't mean carrying a big, heavy piece of camera equipment. Oftentimes it means being able to kind of shove a tiny little camera in someone's face and like ask the questions that are more challenging. I think if anything, I want people to like be able to feel like they have an intimate look at this experience from our perspective and not feel like we were putting on a show for anybody. When, when you look back at each, each, I'm sure going back through each trip you've done, each photo shoot, I'm sure that you can pick not just a learning moment, but mm. a very introspective moment on yourself where you've seen, um, where you've seen something. Is there anything off the top of your head that really stands out above and beyond, whether it be being in that island in Russia and seeing the, the, the sea lions there or you know, watching somebody surf a wave for the first time that you never even thought was imaginable. I'm sure there's those one moment that just made you reflect on things and the choices that you've made to get where you are. I absolutely. I mean, I think there's been so, so many, and there's many off the top of my head too. And, and without going into the full story, because it takes a while to tell, you know, I had an experience on an earlier trip to Russia where I was thrown in a jail cell. Um, because I had a passport, I had passport issues. Oh, and, uh, and it was in uh, Vladivostok back when I was super young, I was like 22 years old, just absolutely, you know, you know, focused on what I wanted to do, had nothing but, you know, intentions of like going out and kind of breaking through in the, the surf scene and trying to document places nobody had ever been just, and I just, I rushed the experience and I, I sat there in this jail cell for 24 hours with a guard at my door. And, and then I got deported to Korea. And all I could do in that moment was just curse every, you know, curse the heavens, you know, mad at the, the, the passport agency and, and or visa agency in, Los, in San Francisco who, who wrote my visa date wrong, even though I prepared everybody else's visas on the trip and they got through fine. So I was angry, but it's funny because reflection has played such a huge role in my work and reflection has played such a huge role in who I am as a person and taking the time to reflect on that and realizing that like there's nobody to blame but me like I rushed I rushed the experience and in the experience that's where the growth is like you don't you know we, we use this like term like oh man travel makes you a better person like that's that's not the truth like it's not travel that makes you a better person. It's the respect and the learning that you give to the places you go that make you a better person in the process. And oftentimes that starts before you leave your front door, right? It's not like you, you climb Everest and you get to the top and you're, you're all of a sudden like being down upon and you become enlightened. No, you're, you're an asshole when you start out and you're an asshole when you finish, right? So the point is like, I, I had forgot about the fact that like, maybe I should give my due respect to this place and learn some of the language and, and learn some of the customs and look into my, you know, visa thing and double check this stuff. And just, you know, I think it was so interesting because I, it was, a, it was a lesson that I'm grateful I learned early in life because it made me slow down and appreciate where I've been. And I mean, I can't even express, there's so many moments like that where, you know, I was trying to kind of like control a situation and, and, you know, my, my career was on the line. My, my life was on the line, whatever it was, my, my job, the editors, you know, the magazine. And all of a sudden I'm like, I can't, there's nothing we can do. We're stuck here or whatever. And I kind of like the moment that I decided to like, let go, I guess you could say amazing things happened or the moment that I kind of learned to like trust in somebody else, like all these like little kernels of truth that have been bestowed upon me from hard-earned experiences I feel like that that's been the greatest eye-opener with traveling in general and the fact that I didn't you know I didn't come from like a perfect nuclear family right or or, or have the college experience a lot of my education came from traveling and came from those experiences out in the world I think that's really really an important point that you make is like really respecting where you're going and how you're getting there yeah, exactly. And I think that applies to everything, right? That applies to working in a kitchen, that applies to everyday life. Oh. And I think we've, we've. And just realizing like nobody owes you anything, you know, like exactly. nobody owes you anything just because, and I think that what it did is it, it squashed any concept of privilege that I might've had as a young kid, like pretty quickly, you know, because I think I came from the, 
the, the, the, the world of having to kind of like fight your way through, you know, being super blue collar and whatnot, trying to make it work. It's like, you realize quickly, like nobody owes you anything. And like all these experiences can be taken from you like that. So it's pretty eye-opening. I really like what you just had to say about like the moment you let go was the moment everything fell into place. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, and that's really powerful in so many different ways. I think culinarily you make a mistake and that's where creativity comes from or, or oh, evolution. Yeah. And, you know, it's like this evolution of a dish happens, but I think mm -hmm. that's really, really important because I think we, we have our natural instinct is to control, right? Mm -hmm. And the older you get, the more you want to put it in a box and make it fit. But yeah. I agree hundred percent that moment that you let it go and you, it's kind of like when you're finding the flow, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure yeah. you've had those days, right? Yeah. You're out, whether you're surfing, all of a sudden everything just clicks and people talk about that where you have that moment. You're like, how did you do that? You were like, I, I don't know. It just, it just happened. Just happened. And that's the flow, right? It's like yeah. letting it go and letting it happen. And that's in sport and that's in photography and that's in cooking. And that's that I think people need to embrace that more. It's just letting yeah. and letting it go gives the best results. And you mentioned it, you know, you talked about like this idea of like following recipes, like creativity has never come from following recipes. And and I, I think that there's the ability to like respect places and tradition and everything while still finding out and kind of pulling back the curtain to figure out what can I learn from this and how can I put my spin on it? How can I evolve this experience in some way slightly more? I mean, to me, that's, I think that's kind of what it, the beauty of what traveling is and what taking, you know, I, I love the, the analogy to food because I'm a big foodie and whatnot, but like taking what you love about a place and infusing it into something else that like is uniquely your own, right? So that, I mean, to me, that's so cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, the only thing I would say is never tweak a baking recipe. <laughs> baking, recipe's a recipe for a reason. <laughs> Don't yeah. change things, it won't work. But, yeah. you know, in, in a recipe, when it comes to going to the farmer's market and changing things and, and you know, what's in season, what's best, how to evolve right. a dish, how to build and layer. And it's, you know, you've been able to layer so many unique things into your photography and in, in your films with all this different sport and this sense of adventure. As young folks are looking to you for direction, and I know that, you know, your studio is really beautiful. I was fortunate enough to come by and look and, you know, see all the work that you've done and all the images that were up. And um, I've seen a whole slew of your books. But it's like, how, how do you inspire these, this next generation? What, would, what advice would you give them for those, for those younger who want to follow in your footsteps and say, hey, you know, I aspire one day to be able to shoot an image like that or yeah. have that type of adventure because they look to you for that guidance. I mean, when I was on at your studio, you had a whole slew of people that were there really excited to learn from you. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's... It's interesting because I, I've, I've, I remember early in my career, I wanted to do an internship with somebody so bad. Like I was so eager. I emailed everyone I could think of, like all the photographers who worked for the magazines and whatnot. And I remember that most of those responses were like, nah, we're good. <laughs> and um, I remember telling myself early on, I was like, if I'm ever in a situation where I can offer something like that, like I'm going to do it. Like I, I, I have to, like, and I, and I, I feel proud that that's something that we do. We offer mentorship through internships. We also offer, and I've always been open and tried to be open about offering mentorship through like just, just writing articles, doing workshops, putting workshops online. There is like a plethora of resources. If somebody wants to know how I do what I do, like the answer's out there. There's no, there's no hidden secret, right? There's no like, um, there's no like hidden recipe for what I do. I try to be as transparent as possible. But what I tell people often is that the, the, the biggest difference, I think, between someone like myself and maybe maybe somebody else who, who started a career at the same time is that I'm the one that's stubborn enough to stay out there when the weather gets terrible and the conditions are bad and, and everybody else wants to be done. Like that's that's been the biggest difference is like I, I really gave myself to photography and I mean that in the most literal sense because I was terrified I had nothing else in my life and that's what happened like I would stay at the beach 
till the sun went down when everybody else would leave because I was like, well, there's not many more opportunities. And I think that what I've really tried to do, especially even on podcasts, you know, like sharing, being transparent about the work and what it, what it requires of me, how I do it, how I run a studio. Um, I think that it's critical to inspire the next generation and not only just inspire them because inspiring can be like, oh, I saw a photograph inspiring, but educating them, providing tools, providing resources, like all of those things are critical to me and are important to me. And I think that if anything, I get more joy now on trips even too. Like if I'm doing an expedition and I know I can't be the principal photographer, I want to bring somebody on who can do that because it's a way to celebrate them. I mean, I just did a recent ride to Yosemite from San Francisco with a friend and I hired a, a young kid, um, young Filipino kid that I had, I had kind of worked with and, and mentored. And just to see his work like expand and get better, I was just like, whoa, this is um, this is so fulfilling to me. It's kind of like my own kids, you know, you see them experience something and you're like, well, that's way cooler than me, <laughs> you know, experiencing, you know, Iceland for the 46th time. So um, I, I think that's kind of where I, I get the most excitement these days. That's, that's really, you know, I think what's the key, you know, like when people say you're a chef, what does that mean? Chef ultimately just means teacher, right? Like, oh, wow. I can't, yeah. do, it. I can't do it without other folks. And I'm only as strong as my weakest link, right? So right. I always have to continue to train and, and elevate and grow the next generation. And I think that's a really powerful feeling when you see those folks go on and do great things, you know, especially those people that you've mentored, right? Like right. they open restaurants or they open, do their first gallery showing. It's, mm -hmm. it's that like, yeah, that's awesome. Right. Right. So, and you, you feel a sense of ownership a little bit, you know, not to like stroke your own ego, but you feel a sense of like, wow, like in some way I helped bring this to life. And this is like, you know, you, you it's like something has its own life now. That's powerful. Well, it's, I think, you know, like I'm, I'm I grew up skateboarding i don't know about yourself but yeah. something that rodney mullen said many years ago was really really inspiring to me is like you know you create a trick and you pass it on and then you see what else they can do with it and it mm -hmm. just keeps evolving and evolving right yeah. you don't make something and hide it in a book no the book never gets opened again yeah and i think that's exactly the way that i've always felt about photography like i started shooting photos because my mom and my, my stepdad, they never traveled anywhere. They never really left the US. Like I wanted to bring something back to them because of the fact that I could see the world. And so it's, it's always been about that. It's always been about experiencing something and sharing it with my community, you know, and now my community has expanded. Yours has too, you know, you're, you're probably not cooking for, you know, whatever college roommates or friends or girlfriend, but you're, you're cooking for, you know, prince and princesses, who knows? what a cool experience to share something that originated from like the desire to just experience it first and foremost, and then share it with people you love. And then that expands. And so I think there's a, a really beautiful correlation there. And I just try to keep that in perspective when it's on doing something. I mean, it's pretty amazing. You know, we, we ironically in two completely separate forms, we give people memories. Right. 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 You're giving folks that memory of that, beautiful vista with you know the sunset or you know and I, I gave a taste memory and when you combine those things together it's a pretty powerful pretty yeah powerful medium right it's yeah well that that's the beauty is like travel and food you know is really interesting because when you when you pair them together it enacts more than just like one of the senses and I think it's funny because as I've gotten older I think I've I've drawn more inspiration from places where there is a culinary experience. And, and it, I used to, you know, as a kid, just pour through the, the pages of National Geographic and look at those. Yeah, but now it's like, I draw inspiration from, from you know, the culinary arts, from architecture, from typography. Like I almost, the last thing I'm looking for is like uh, looking at photographs, you know, to, to draw. So I think it's just like, a, it's a coming of age thing where you start to kind of like see those connections. So when you, started shooting was there any inspirational photographers that really you know people you looked up to and said man that is just that how did they do that yeah there was a there was there was a lot to be honest and michael michael fatali was one of the the major ones he's based out of um utah and uh he was a large format landscape photographer um shot eight by ten film just big wooden amazing camera and the guy never used any computers, you know, anything. And I, I had a chance to kind of 
um, spend a summer with him and learn a bit about just how he, he would go into these remote backcountry places with like three sheets of film because that's all he could take. And he would just sit there and have to wait for the light. I mean, his images are stunning. They're massive. He like developed his own um, developing technique where he project across a room, right? Because he made these huge prints and, you know, the presidents have them in their homes or what, anyway, I was just always blown away. I'm like, how do you find the patience? Like, how do you, how do you curb the excitement for these experiences? Because I would be in those moments and I'd be like, I need to take a picture now, you know, like pulling out. And he's like, you know, I, I try to find other ways to celebrate this. I'll sing a song. I'll, I'll write notes. I'll take a picture with my little point and shoot or whatever it is. But he's like, but I need, I know, I need to know when the light is perfect and wait for that moment. And that's to me, I, that just always stuck with me, you know, and um, Michael Fatali was one of them, obviously like Henry Cartier-Bresson um, was an influence just because of his writing. I mean, his photographs are incredible. The decisive moment, everything he gave to that, but his writings and musings on art and how art transitions to photography. He always spoke about how, you know, when you look through the Canva camera, it's the same as a canvas. And in a canvas, when you're doing artwork, and that was my background was, was doing art, you're creating the depth, you know, you're creating the distance from the mountains to, you know, the, the shoreline or whatever it is with a person. So I think when you think about photography and you're like, well, this is my canvas right here, I can move around in this three-dimensional space and create that depth. I try to always take that in mind. Like I have that control. Um, and and I've, there's a long list of modern day photographers, you know, that have inspired me. But I think that if anything, I, I kind of have been the most motivated, not by the person who's taking the most mind-blowing photographs, but what they say and what they do, you know, and even Ansel Adams, his work advocating for national parks and wild spaces and the fact that he met multiple presidents and used his work as a as a tool to push forward an agenda that would ultimately protect some of these places like to me that's that's a great photographer um, and a great person and i just i i would aspire to in some way use my work to to be more meaningful than just you know or i guess last a lot longer than i than i will i think i mean we we definitely know that that's happening and I see that <laughs> happening and you're, you're definitely setting a mark for a lot of folks, but also I think you're, you're opening people's eyes to the beauty of what's around them. And again, places they can't get to. And I think, you know, there's three things that you've said that I think are really, really important. Give back patience and perseverance. Yeah. I think those are three really, really huge things. Yeah. And that is what I think that next generation needs to hear. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think that there is, is in some ways with certain generations, you know, cultures, you know, there, there seems to be a lack of, um, of that perseverance, you know, like, oh, if it doesn't work out, it's not going to work, you know, and I, I just, I think that like being thrust into a situation where like, this is your only option, you better give it everything you have, like, I'm grateful I had that, because I think that had I had other options, I probably would have taken an easier option because this wasn't like a, a necessarily jovial and fun career path to go down for many years. It was painful. It was living in your truck and eating, eating 50 cent burritos, you know, and it was, uh, it was, you know, living below poverty line for, uh, for a long time. And I, but I feel indebted to what those experiences taught me um, and the hardships that came with it. So we're going to veer a little bit here. So let's talk about Couple things. So, yeah. Worst meal you've ever had in travel. Oh, man. And then follow it up with the best meal. Yeah. You know, okay. I, there's this one thing I ate one time. <laughs> I'm going to start with a good one because it was, I think what it was is like, I, I did this trip to my first trip to Italy. I was going through um, the Dolomites, you know, which, you know, Northern Italy, the Alps, right? It's, it's a little, it's different than like being like, I'm in Milan, you know, or I'm in, I'm, you know, I'm on the Amalfi coast. Like, you know, the food in those regions is incredible. In the Dolomites, it's a little different, right? It's, it's a little harder. Um, I spent some time in Switzerland, the Dolomites, I went through Germany. And I guess while I was there, I was just like, I can't wait to get that perfect bowl of pasta. I can't wait to like find and, and, and um, access that, like, you know, that, unlock that like European delicacy, you know, because I had heard so much, you know, about it. And, yada, yada, yada. 
And I was just like kind of disappointed. <laughs> like everywhere I went, I was bummed. And and I was in, you know, was in the Dolomites trying to find, you know, a good, you know, just expecting to be like full ratatouille experience, you know, and um, didn't happen. And then all of a sudden we're driving through Germany, we're driving through Bavaria and we're like, we're coming through like Austria. And we stopped at the base of this, like this castle feature that we had shot photos of. And it was like snowy, really beautiful, gorgeous place. And like that night we were just down in like the little downtown square, you know, and um, kind of like a little, like a, like a mountain town sort of thing. And I had a, I had a bowl of pasta there and it was like bow tie pasta. It was a, it was a pumpkin something like a, like a, like a pumpkin puree with, with the red sauce. And it was one of the meals that I'm like, I still feel like I can taste like the acidity was perfect um, you know, the, the, the whole thing just kind of like blended together. Like it was like, as if you could, you could not taste, not taste all of its individual parts, but you could also try to taste all of its individual parts. It was just amazing. It blew my mind. And I had it in the most random of places. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was really good. And then I would say that on a second thing, driving through Bavaria, we stopped at like a, a supermarket of all things. And they had a fresh, um, fresh, uh, whatever it is, pretzel, right? What, 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 what's the actual word? We, yeah, we had it at, yeah, we had it at your place. And the pretzel, I mean, I mean, it was, it was hard to, I didn't understand that bread could do that. Like it was so fluffy and it was, but the outside was like buttered and still like, I don't even know. And the salt pieces were like, they were like locked on there. It wasn't like a, you know, pretzel you get here where you like, you go to take it and all the salt has like fallen oh, yeah. off. It was like ingrained onto it. And I got this, this, you know, the mustard and it was just, oh my gosh, it was so good. Like hard process. So insane to make a pretzel, you know, there's like, how do you make the dough properly? How do you yeah. form it? How do you <laughs> glaze it? I mean, it's such a unique process. I, I, I can't make them. I'll, yeah. I'll say that 110%. My friend's, over at Rod House, make a great pretzel, but yeah, that, software. that was a really good one we had over there. I was like, I was pretty blown away. I mean, and, and so much of it comes down to like, right when you touch it, before you, you right when you touch it, you're like, this is, this is a good one. Yeah. Does it like, have yeah. just enough give? Does the texture feel right? Does yeah. it give a little bit? Yeah. Is it going to be toothsome on the palate, but is the flavor going to come through? Is the salt yeah. going to feel it's, right? It's like, it's like almost like it's crispy on the top where the salt is, but then the bottom isn't like too hard. And it's a funny, it's a funny balance. Um, and then I'll just say like worst meal, like I have had a lot of terrible meals. I mean, I've had a lot of terrible meals. I, I um, you know, and I think the worst ones are the ones where you like end up getting sick or something like that. You know, it's always like a gas station sandwich, right? Like something that was in a cold wrap, um, something that was just kind of like, you know, you, you ate because you had to. Um, but I, I vividly remember one kind of experience, you know, being in, Oman, Oman in the Middle East somewhere, um, driving through the night and like we were starving and we, we had been driving through the desert and all of a sudden we see this like glow on the side of the road, like a glow. It was like the weirdest orange light. It was just like a meat cone, you know, of, of like whatever, like some, you know, mystery meat, you know, probably, you know, sheep or this or that. And, you know, we got these like shawarmas and they're normally amazing, right? So, so good. And I just like, you know, I remember like getting this thing and, 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 you know, just being so starving, you're kind of like to start eating immediately. You don't even like take the chance to like smell it or taste it or anything. And it was just, yeah, it was un, unpalatable. Um, it was just, it was just like, I've never really had a meal where like my body kind of like rejected it. And I, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of shawarma. I love that. I've had it amazing a million times, but who knows, maybe this was like the bottom of the barrel or what, but it was just, not good and, and it kind of was like mystery meat you know like you just don't really know what it is and um i don't know i mean that, that was one the chance, right that is the chance you take when you're doing such unique travel when you are in the middle of nowhere and it's scary though because I, the one thing i'll say like is that um i you know uh, for many years i was vegetarian then i was vegan then i've kind of gone back forth pescatarian eating meat and everything and I think the funniest thing is like, I've never been more sick than trying to eat vegan in places like that because the fruits and vegetables are the thing that's typically going to be the, the most um, 
the, the unclean, unclean, right? So I, it's just the truth of the matter. And it's like, you're safer eating bread or eating like a cured meat or eating like a cheese or something like that. You're like, this thing's like gone through the phases. Like it's good, you know, like, the but trying to- has been cleared. Yeah, you know, you're like, but trying to, oh, out. yeah, give me a tomato, water. give me a tomato and, and lettuce salad. You're like, oh my gosh, so. And that's something that I think is really important, you know, when I, when with travel and food, food is this convivial moment, right? It transcends yeah. all boundaries. And when you are traveling in places and people present you with items, yes. it's impossible to say no. Well, and I, I would, I would venture to say that that's one of the, that's one of the big things that I, I've always tried to understand is like being, you know, again, I was vegetarian for 15 years but when I would travel and I would go somewhere if a family would offer me something you know I'd be staying at someone's house in Norway and they'd taken us in or something like that or you know and they're preparing a meal it's like I'm not going to turn that down or starve myself or whatever first of all I've got a job to do I can't just be like oh I'm going to fast for the next two days you know um and 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 more importantly it's like this is a way to connect if you want to get a story from somebody if you want to get an image from somebody that is intimate and that experience is intimate food is a way to connect. And, and I think that's critical. It's, it's crucial actually. And I just think that to not recognize that as such is such a, is such a bummer because um, I, I would see friends, you know, who would, who would kind of, you know, thrust what I would say is they're like, you know, their Southern California mentality upon upon a culture in a place like this, where it's like, yeah, you know, being, being vegan or vegetarian is, is amazing, credible for the planet. It's great. It's not sustainable for the entirety of the world. I'm just, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just absolutely not. There's no Americans way. don't have the availability to the product. There, there's no way. You, and this is what I've noticed and witnessed going to somewhere like the Faroe Islands, where for them to be vegan or vegetarian would mean that they're basically getting processed food shipped in from Nabisco right? Or whatever. And ultimately, like you see in these communities, um, huge spikes in diabetes and other things because of stuff like that, because it's actually easier now for them just to live in a major city and eat food that's been being sent over from Europe or whatever. That's terrifying as opposed to eating their traditional diets, which allowed them to survive for thousands of years, right? So I just try to take that into consideration and realize that it's a privilege to be able to eat that way, especially in California where everything's provided to you. But when I'm out on the road, I want to leave a lot of that behind. I also want to leave a bit of who I am behind so that I can take on a bit of that culture and experience and just be open, be open to seeing the world in a new way, be open to, to, to tasting the world in a new way. And, and I, I, I feel like that's a huge part of, of the experience. So now we're going to go to the last little moment here. It's a little quick fire. So yeah, man. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Hot dog, hamburger. Hot dog. Ketchup or mustard? Mustard. Okay. Deli or Dijon mustard? Dijon, 100%. Nice. Popsicle or ice cream? Ice cream. What flavor ice cream? Oh my gosh. Uh, mint and chip. And a lot of people like that one. That's a very good If popsicle. I had to just chew, if I had to just go with something. Um, I mean, really though, it'd be like a stracciatella, something like something like that. Yeah. Chocolate or fruit? Ah, chocolate. <laughs> Milk or bitter? Chocolate. Uh, I'm just gonna say it depends on where you are in the world. Okay. Fair answer. Like, like you know, Alpine, Alpine dairy, Germany. You know that, like that's that's special. Right, but everywhere else, bitter. That's that's like Switzerland, dairy. Everywhere else, dark. Coffee or tea? Coffee, but I should be saying tea. (laughs) 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 Beef or pork? Uh, Beef. Nigiri or uh, or sashimi? Sashimi for me. Nice. Only because I haven't had, I've been to Japan a lot, but I haven't quite explored all the nigiri options that I, I really want to, but I, you know, I can always trust the sashimi. That's the thing. Cake or pie? Pie. Favorite pie? Mud pie. 
Whoa, not what I expected. Ah, because that's kind of like a sneak answer. It mud is a sneak pie. answer. Mud pie is kind of like a cake. It is. <laughs> no, no, for sure. If it was a pie, it'd be like I live in a in a place where they make like a lollaberry. Like a lollaberries are pretty common. Oh. So I love the bitter. I love the bitter lollaberries. Not too much fruit. Too much fruit, just uh, you know. Um, I love the salty crust, and then I love a la mode. Like that's that's my jam. Like hot like when, like a hot pie a la mode Oof. but also i'm a huge pumpkin fan like pumpkin is my pumpkin is like my vice so yeah pasta or noodles <laughs> oh my gosh that's so hard that's such a tough one uh i'm gonna say noodles I would say if, if it was a younger me, it would be pasta. You know, if it was like, you know, Chris in high school playing, playing sports, but now like being like ramen, like I couldn't, I couldn't turn down ramen. Okay. Dumplings or ravioli? Ravioli. Burrito, shawarma. Burrito, 100%. Burrito over all those things. Super or regular? Oh, I mean, anything extra is going to be better. <laughs> <laughs> Extra super. Okay. Fish tacos, fried fish, grilled fish. Oh man. Fried fish tacos or grilled fish tacos. To be honest. And a taco. Let's be honest. You are in the myth. You are like dead center of the Baja fish taco or the traditional, you know, the here's what I'll say. I would say either as long as there is a really good white sauce on it. Okay. Because I'm a big fan of like, of some, you know, of something creamy, whether it's like an aioli style or like a tartar style or whatever. I just, I want to have, I want to, it, it honestly is irrelevant as long as all the other ingredients are there, you know, the salsas, the, the, you know, cilantro, everything. So. All right. So mountain bike or gravel bike? Gravel bike uh because it can take you more places you know i think more places in a in a fun way right like that's that's my thought it's just a total utilitarian vehicle yeah 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 yeah. and it's like uh mount like and that's the funny thing is the mountain bike really in many ways it's it's the ultimate because you can go anywhere you want with it but is is the point going a to b you know the point is like going a to b and feeling that enjoyment being able to get on the road and feel the wind and rip and feel the stability and, and then get on off the road and be scared. Like that's a great feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, I can't say thank you enough. I know yeah. you're super busy. I know you've got planning to do. You've got things coming up. You're, you're busy, busy man. I'm hoping we get to ride again together soon. Me too. Cool. I, um, I cherish our time we had on that last ride, just chatting and catching up and um I, yeah it's been honestly it's been so cool to get to know you and just get to learn a bit of your history like you know i i feel like i you know I'm, I'm not gonna date myself by saying i grew up but i feel like over the last couple of years you know just my wife and i you know becoming culinary fanatics and watching watching you and just being able to kind of like understand your process it's really it's really cool and um yeah getting to know you is a pleasure so i'm grateful Thank you. I appreciate everything and uh, looking forward to seeing your next adventures. Cheers, man. You. Thank you.